You're listening to the Raptors Rapture Podcast. What's up, everybody? Thank you so much for listening to another episode of the Raptors Rapture Podcast. As always, I'm going to be here talking to you guys. I'm Hunter Surplus. With me, not Mike Bassetti this time. He has actually left Raptors Rapture to go on bigger and better things for him, Mike. So, obviously, we will all miss you here at Raptors Rapture. But in his place this week, we've got a Raptors Rapture writer, Lior Kozai. Lior, thanks for hopping on, my man. Thanks for having me. Shockingly, we're going to talk about the Toronto Raptors today on this podcast. And and right now, the Raptors are sitting fourth in the Eastern Conference. They are 24-12 and 12 with a win over the Brooklyn Nets last night. Second in defense, 15th in offense, as per basketball reference numbers. They're 3-2 and two in their last five games. So in the grand scheme of things, they're doing great. The last five games haven't been the most spectacular, but they have been dealing with some injuries, as we all know. Before we get into the actual basketball side of things, we will talk about some news that has come up this week. One of the bigger things that starts coming around in early to mid-January is trades because we do know that the trade deadline comes in February and the Raptors have been linked to a few names a few big men for that matter this week that's Andre Drummond and now as Chris Mannix reported today Kevin Love who would you rather the Toronto Raptors trade for would you rather them if they do make a trade Drummond or Love or would you rather them do neither probably if I was like if they had to pick one I guess I would pick Drummond, but honestly, I don't really like the fit of either of these guys for the Raptors. I get why this would be the type of player they're targeting. Obviously, the Raptors struggle on the glass. Have their rebound rate pulled up right now. They're 20th in rebound rate. Um, sometimes it looks worse than that, especially when Gasol's out of the game. Um, they have some smaller centers in Ibaka and Chris Boucher get kind of pushed around on the glass so I get why they want these big rebounder types but I think um I just think depending on the cost it's probably not worth it for them especially with love um I believe three years remaining on that extension I just don't see them tying up that 2021 cap space that we always talk about and the value of that and then with Drummond um he has a 28 million dollar player option so I don't think they would love to pay him that. And then if he opts out, I'm not sure they would want to commit so much money to re-signing him. So either way, it's kind of a lose-lose in the sense that either you're getting a rental with Drummond for just half a season, basically, or you're getting long-term money that you don't really want. And I don't think either of these players move the needle enough for the Raptors in the East to be worth acquiring. I also think we do have to see like the Raptors at full strength before you can really make a move like that. And I spent, well, like a big move like that, you can make trades around the edges here and there to, to kind mm-hmm. of bolster up certain parts of the team. But I think without having seen this, without seeing this team healthy outside of, I think two or three games early on in the season, they're not in a place where they can make a move this big because they just don't really know exactly where they're at obviously we know they're a really good team and yes they could use help on the rebounding side of things but I don't think Drummond is good enough defensively to fit into the Raptors scheme just that the way that the Raptors have been built this season and offensively he's not necessarily better than Gasol or Ibaka Gasol's his IQ and the way that he spaces the floor and he might not be a better Mm -hmm. pure scorer but he does 
the little things so much more efficiently and so much better than Drummond ever does. You know, Drummond's a decent passer, yeah. but he's not Gasol, right? And then obviously yeah. Serge Ibaka is also a really good scorer on the inside. He's a good mid-range scorer. He can do all these different things that Drummond just can't do. So finding a guy like him, obviously the rebounding would be nice, but I don't know if the rebounding is that big of a deal, especially having Siaka being out for the past X amount of games without uh, without his rebounding is is a tough thing to to see. Um, I would just say, even if like it is an upgrade or at least a small upgrade, I would still I kind of like the fit of Gasol better with the starters. Um, when we look at playoff matchups, obviously he's fantastic against Joel Embiid and his passing, like you said, is so crucial and it's kind of a step above Drummond's. And his shooting just spaces the floor when Siakam's kind of a guy who wants to get in the lane. And Drummond obviously hangs around the run. The basket, he's not taking mid-range or threes. And just you're paying that guy so much that if you acquire him, he probably expects to start. He's probably not going to be thrilled coming off the bench in Ibaka's role. And then where does that leave you? So you'd be committing a lot to this player. And if he's not a significant upgrade, I don't really see the point of it. So I'm with you there. So you also said you don't really want to trade for a guy. You understand why the Raptors would do it, but you might not want to trade for a guy like Andre Drummond. What type of player would you like to see the Raptors try to make a move for? Um, if they need to make a move, I think it would be for kind of um, either a playmaking or kind of really high-level shooter on the wing, I would say. Um, kind of that Norman Powell role maybe a little more consistent. Obviously, Powell was playing really well before he got hurt, and he had that 10-game stretch averaging around 20 points per game, really hot shooting. But just a guy like that, um, a J.J. Redick type, or if that's too hard to acquire, if they don't have the assets for that, then something, maybe a lower version of that, like um, still looking at that Pelicans team, like a guy like a Tuan Moore, who is just like a solid shooter, 3 and D type. I don't think they want to commit too many assets to a trade but if they do i think that would be kind of the need that i would address just because they're a little short on playmaking sometimes uh, obviously that's been amplified with all the injuries but even when they're at full strength if you play like a really good defense like, like a team like miami or milwaukee those are the kind of players that i think would help them yeah i agree and i think that the, sh the shooter type is kind of what they should go after and Everyone in the league needs shooting. Everyone in the league would love a 3 and D wing type of player. But I think the Raptors can 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 go for someone who shoots really well and doesn't necessarily play good defense just because of how good the defense has been so far this year. And they can probably hide whoever, whatever player it might be. Say they do go out and get a J.J. Redick, who is known to not necessarily be the best defensive player in the NBA. And they can, they can work around that just because of the anchors that they do have on the defensive end. So maybe it makes it a little easier for them to get a guy like that, which I would I would like to see just because shooting is so big in the NBA and, and with the amount of three-point shots that the Raptors take, having an extra guy who might be a little bit more efficient than, than some of the guys have been so far this year would be a very good addition um, down the stretch in the, in the playoffs and, and down the stretch when, when guys have been injured or if we see guys getting injured again um, down the stretch of the season. So moving on to the next topic here, Tristan Thompson. This might be the only thing that I will ever respect coming <laughs> out of Tristan Thompson's mouth. 
So earlier this week, Tristan Thompson called Kyle Lowry a Hall of Famer, and he basically listed off all his accolades. And I just want to know, Lior, try to take the bias out of it, and, and, and instead of looking at this through the lens of a Raptors fan, more of a, an NBA fan, do you think that La- Kyle Lowry deserves to be a Hall of Famer? And do you think that he will get in eventually when it is all said and done? Um, I mean, even from an unbiased perspective trying to look at it neutrally I think it would be pretty tough to make a case against him and I do think he will get in just because like even if you're not the biggest fan of Kyle Lowry or you think like you know he's made six all-star well it's going to be six all-star appearances assuming he makes it this year um and it's in you could say it's the weaker eastern conference and he hasn't done a whole lot in the playoffs outside the championship and kind of make a case like that. But like you look at the NBA Hall of Fame and it's just not the highest bar. It's kind of like people were discussing Sean Marion as is he like on the brink of the Hall of Fame. And Kyle Lowry's had a much better career than Sean Marion, I would say. And kind of those borderline like Glenn Robinson types are in the Hall of Fame. So I don't think it's the highest bar. And Lowry's pretty accomplished at this point. He has an Olympic gold medal in 2016. He has the six all-star appearances, uh, third-team All-NBA. And obviously, he's kind of turned around this franchise. And I think the championship will be a huge part of that case. Yeah, I, t- I totally agree. I'm with you. I think he I think he should get in. I think he will get in. Um, I, I also think it depends on you know the class that's around him. I don't, I don't necessarily yeah. think he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer. Uh, depending on how the rest of his career goes, but he certainly is declining right now. Um, but I, I don't think he's going to be first ballot, but he should get in. I I think, you know, whether it's year two, three, four, or five, but he should definitely be in there. We don't need to go through all the accolades. You can go look that up on Basketball Reference. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but Basketball Reference right now has him at, I think, 68% chance of yeah. getting in, which, you know, as his career gets on, going on and, and as he scores more points and gets more assists and, and plays more games and does more things right for the the team that he plays for I don't think that it's I think it's maybe not necessarily a no-brainer but he should be considered there because I don't know if you agree with this but I think like Kyle Lowry has been around at least like near the top five in terms of point guards in the league for I don't Mm -hmm. know I'd say like five or six years kind of thing and I think that should be noted right like the the Steph Curry's Westbrook's and Irving, like all those guys, they're Hall of Famers. And why is the guy who's just outside that bubble not going to be one? Yeah, I'm not sure if you saw that um, that stat from Jacob Goldstein a couple weeks ago or maybe last week. Um, it was uh, the 25 or like it was the top most impactful players of the last decade in the 2010s um, just by like wins added and kind of those cumulative advanced stats and Kyle Lowry's right there seventh it was like LeBron Kevin Durant Steph Curry um I think Kawhi Westbrook and Harden and then Kyle Lowry right behind six surefire first ballot Hall of Famers and like we can't pretend Kyle Lowry's close to that level of those guys but just being consistently near the top of the league in terms of point guards like you said and being an all-star every year and being the leader of a 50 win team or near 50 wins 
for basically seven straight years now, that's a huge accomplishment. And that kind of puts him in that range that maybe he doesn't get in the first year, especially if he's in a hard class, like you said, but he's going to get in at some point, I would expect. And I'd be pretty surprised if he doesn't. The one thing that I do think that will hurt him is is kind of the unsexiness of his play, which, mm-hmm. you know, he's not he's he's a very solid player. Like we said, the one of the most impactful players of the of the 2010s. But he doesn't do it in a sexy way like, a, as I mentioned before, like a Kyrie Irving or like a Steph Curry, or like a LeBron, KD, all these kind of people that we that we mentioned that were just ahead of him. But he still gets it done, right? His, his numbers don't jump off the board, but he still gets it done. And and like you said at the beginning there, when we first started talking about this, uh, there's people who are way worse than Kyle Lowry in the Basketball Hall of Fame. And I don't necessarily want to lower the bar because of those people who ha- who got in in a time where there wasn't as much of a credibility to it and there wasn't as much of a standard for what gets in. But I think he does have to get in. If you look at some of these guys that are in there, like you said, Sean Marion, it's like, yeah, Come on, if Sean Marion's getting consideration, Kyle Lowry <laughs> is a lock. Yeah. Kyle Lowry's a lock. And, and, like, I'm not sure who, like, they just say there's an honors committee that um, votes for the Hall of Fame for induction. But, like, if you look at really respected, like, the best basketball analysts around, like, they all love Kyle Lowry's game. Like, the Zach Lowe and Doris Burke and those types, those prominent NBA media voices, they really appreciate the stuff Kyle Lowry does because – um, it's the stuff we watch night to night, just the charges and all the little things that he does to kind of um, push his team over the top. And the people say make winning plays, which is hard to measure, but like advanced stats kind of show that impact more than the raw numbers do. And I think that's a factor as well, especially um, if voters are the type of people who will factor those things, which I assume they would be. Hopefully. I, I think we can all just hopefully say that, that he will be in there and, and eventually um, he'll be in there. I don't, he, you know, Vince Carter is going to be a lock for the Hall of Fame as kind of like the first Raptor to really be in there. Uh, like, mm-hmm. I guess, you know, so uh, Lowry will be in there and I think he'll, uh, he'll wear it proudly and he'll look very good in the, in, <laughs> in, in Boston, in Massachusetts. Um, so you mentioned All-Stars earlier in that discussion with Kyle Lowry, the, the returns for fan voting came out on Thursday. Pascal Siakam, we kind of knew was a lock for the All-Star game, and it was just whether or not he was going to be a starter. Right now, he's sitting third in front court voting and third overall with 544,302 votes. And Kyle Lowry sits in eighth with 154,139, and that's eighth in the guards' Um, I'm not going to do the math for where he sits in the whole thing, but he's up there. Uh, which one surprises you more? Is it Pascal Siakam being as high as he is, or is it Kyle Lowry actually making the, the ballot? Um, I'm not really surprised with either, I guess, because I mean, um, Siakam, like, he's still making a name for himself, I guess, among casual fans. Um, but he was pretty much like he was in a lot of people's MVP or like MVP conversation, I guess, as like a top five kind of guy to start the year. And he slowed down a little. And then obviously the injury is a factor. But like people remember that that early season impression. And I think casual fans kind of got exposed to his game last year in the playoffs. So it makes sense that he would be up there. And Giannis and Embiid are the only forwards. I guess Jimmy Butler too, since he um, since he counts as a forward on the ballot, are kind of the guys 
um, competing with him. And then Lowry, I guess, like, I obviously I think we would both put him a lot higher on that ballot, but he's obviously just not that popular among um, casual fans. But I'm not surprised to see him, like, within the top 10 just because there are a lot of Raptors fans and uh, and he deserves to be on it. And then, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see, like, coaches and um, either coaches voting for the bench or, like, the, the player and media combined, like, quarter and quarter vote to get Lowry into that second starting spot. But, uh, but yeah, like, I just, I think that's all right. And the fan vote's always going to be kind of weird and you're going to see, like, I think Kyrie Irving second or second among guards in the East yeah. right now. And yeah, he's played, second. like, what, nine games all season? So, like, I, I'm not too worried about the fan vote. And I don't, like, get upset about it because, like, like people are going to vote for who they like. And they're not really voting based on who deserves, per se. Yeah, and I'm just, like, I will say I am a little surprised about Pascal Siakam. I thought it was very, I think it's very deserving. I just didn't think that the fan voting would turn out this this much for him just because like because of like the public perception you mean not necessarily but i think more so like people don't really like know him all that much like the raptors aren't on on espn all as much as other teams and stuff and they they didn't really get like you said, they did get a look at him in the finals last year, and there wasn't really any talk about him until like the second half of last season with the most improved player discussion. He was never a high draft pick, so like no one had like super hype for him coming into the league. He plays for the Raptors, like it's. I think all these things that kind of add up to him not necessarily being the most I don't know, quote, like famous guy in the NBA, obviously. Yeah. So like I I was surprised to see him third in the fan votes. I you know the media is going to give him love. The players are definitely going to give him love, and I think that's where yeah. Kyle Lowry is going to fit in too. Like the fan vote, I I kind of thought he was going to be a little bit lower just because of the time that he's missed. But like you know the media is going to give him love because the media pretty much like like you said they love Kyle Lowry, and then I think players love Kyle Lowry too. Yeah, I guess I guess it is interesting to consider like why would Siakam be higher up I mean um maybe him being an international player helps with like that um votes from outside the U.S. or maybe um just playing for Canada's team and kind of the Raptors popularity like even the Raptors TV ratings are up this year so maybe they're getting more votes um from Canada and yeah I mean they haven't campaigned I feels like at least to me like they haven't campaigned nearly as much for those all-star spots like usually every single game they would be um they would be talking about it like constantly, basically like DeRozan and Lowry for the All-Star game. And now they kind of cooled it. Um, but I guess, yeah, maybe just him playing on opening night to national TV and scoring like 34 points, I think, on opening night and just having a few of those big games helped. But yeah, it's it's interesting to consider, but he's definitely deserving. Yeah, so I, I think the Raptors are definitely going to have two All-Stars I think it's definitely going to be Pascal Siakam and Kyle Lowry. Do you think Fred Van Fleet deserves any discussion? Or, um, Yeah, I mean, he's kind of one of those borderline guys. He's had, like, his numbers are definitely up there. But there are a lot of, like, those borderline guards in the East. I mean, between, like, Trey Young and Bradley Beal on, like, the, on the weaker teams, but just putting up incredible stats and then just a lot of um a lot of good teams in the east the top six of the east is really strong so 
guys like Malcolm Brogdon and um, Chris Middleton, if he counts as a guard for the Bucks or someone like that, um, maybe Jalen Brown for the Celtics, that kind of gives a lot of guard candidates. And I'd be surprised if the Raptors get three all-stars just because there are too many good teams in the East that, um, that will have at least one and maybe two for those. Yeah, I agree. And I, I just, I just hope that having, you know, having Fred Van Fleet in the discussion as a, as a potential guard there doesn't take away anything from, from Kyle Lowry's possibility of getting in, which I don't think it is, but I think that there might be a possibility for that to be happening. Um, but either way, two all-stars love it as a Raptors fan. So yep. we're going to, we're going to, we're going to move on to our ball talk right after this. So we are back and now we are going to get more into the on court stuff. Lior, as I mentioned earlier in the show, and as we've talked about plenty on this podcast, the Raptors are are injury prone this year. The last nine games, they've been without Siakam as well as Gasol and Norm Powell, and they've dropped a little bit, going five and four in those games. Earlier this year, they had eleven games without their quote unquote anchor in Kyle Lowry, and they went nine and two. But as I mentioned, the team is doing really well this season. They're still 24 and 12 despite all these injuries. What do you think the team's ceiling is when everybody is fully healthy and this team is kind of rolling? Um, so it's kind of it's almost like a trick question in the sense that I think their ceiling is second best in the East. I think they can be as good as second best. Um, I was really high on the Sixers to start the season, and obviously they're struggling. Um, and the Raptors have shown that kind of head to head, they can handle that matchup if, um, if they contain Embiid and if they can kind of get Siakam going and not, um, and not give up like the transition stuff to Ben Simmons, all that. And I still think the Bucks are pretty clearly a tier above them, but they're kind of on the same level as the Heat, the Pacers, the Celtics, one healthy, um, I could see, though, like, if the Sixers and Bucks met in a series or something like that, like, the Bucks could be beatable. They could at least have, like, a decent shot against them. And if someone else beats the Bucks, then I think that kind of opens up the East for the Raptors, and they would have a chance at a finals, uh, finals appearance, which obviously is looking way ahead, and we don't know about injuries and the trade deadline and what will happen there, but... I just think in terms of ceiling like that, the finals appearance isn't totally out of the question. With that said, like as a more likely ceiling, I would say they're probably a second round team depending on who they match up with. But I think they're kind of around that tier of the secondary teams in the East where Boston, Miami, Indiana are all quality teams. And I think the Raptors could beat or lose to any of those teams like and it would be a pretty tough series how about you yeah i i am on board with all of what you said there just because like as good as pascal siakam has been he's not Giannis. i don't think he's like he's not as good as Embiid in terms of the skill i think pascal siakam tries harder so in terms of consistency he i think he does have the edge over an Embiid. he's definitely better than simmons i think between him and butler I'm 
you know, in the first three quarters, I take Pascal Siakam. When it comes to fourth or overtime, I take Jimmy Butler. The Pacers, mm-hmm. I probably go Siakam over Oladipo, or if you want to look at them as a Brogdon team now, them as well. But <laughs> and like the Celtics, Kem, like the just the trio of Kemba, Tatum, and and Brown is really good, and that probably is surpasses whatever the top three whoever the third guy is with the Raptors with Lowry and Siakam, whether you want to say it's Fred or, or Gasol or whoever you want to add in that. I just don't, I just don't know if the top end talent is there necessarily for a playoff series. And the depth has been relatively spotty, especially in terms of shooting, which we'll talk about in just a second. But like you said, they could beat any of these teams below them or above them, but they could also lose to any of the teams. Yeah. They're definitely not the Bucks when they're fully healthy because I, no one in the East is the Bucks, and you know not a lot of teams in the NBA are are as good as the Bucks are. It's just it's really tough to tell because we haven't seen like a stretch of games where they have been fully healthy. We've seen them look good without Kyle Lowry. We've seen them look good without Pascal Siakam. What we haven't seen this year is them look good when they're on the court together outside of two or three games, which I don't think is a big enough sample size to really say anything. With that being said, it's very encouraging how they're still winning and how they're still having this really good record without, you know, one of their top two guys for basically, you know, 20 games this year. It's something that you don't see a lot with teams, and it's something that you don't see a lot with young teams, which is kind of what the Raptors are. They've got a mix of young guys and a mix of older vet guys. But that's kind of what is encouraging to me. And that's why I'm going to say that I think their ceiling is the second is second place is probably a mid to high 50 win team. I don't think they're going to get there just because of the injuries that have taken place. And then when Pascal Siakam and Gasol and Powell get back, they're going to have to get back into their groove and all this that that always happens with injuries. But I do think they can be the second best team in the Eastern Conference. And I do think that they could have a really, really good series with the Bucks, and potentially, potentially take them out, just because I think the Bucks are frauds. Yeah, <laughs> I'm with you. Like, like in the sense, yeah, like a ten percent, something like that, small chance against the Bucks. And I think that second seed in the East, like, it's really going to turn out to be huge, right? Because right now, like. They, the second and six seeds are separated by like four and a half games. Um, four and six are separated by two games. And basically that six seed could be Philly or Indiana in the first round, or even the Raptors could fall there. Um, or it could be if you rise up to second where the Raptors are only two and a half games out, like you can be playing Brooklyn basically, which we saw last night. I mean, they're not... They're just not a very deep team. They have a couple of really good guards in Kyrie Irving, if he ever gets healthy, or Spencer Dinwiddie, Karis LeVert, but they're not like a good defensive team by any means. They're not really close to any of those other teams we talked about. And you basically get it's you basically get an easy route to the second round. And well, meanwhile, that three six matchup's gonna be really tough, and those teams are gonna kind of beat each other up until you get that second round matchup and then if you can get to the conference finals against the bucks then i mean it's only one series and upsets can happen like even last year the bucks were a 60 win juggernaut with like the best net rating in the league by far and 
obviously they lost. So we'll see in the playoffs how those matchups play out. But just the point overall that I agree with you is that like kind of that two through six range, like I think any of those teams could turn out to be the second seed and any of them can kind of um, take advantage if they have home court and if they just get those minor advantages. And I think obviously with the health problems that the Raptors have had, it's still hard to judge um, what their maximum potential is. And like, I don't totally put it past Nick Nurse. You're talking about matchups there. I don't totally put it past Nick Nurse to like fix a matchup for the Raptors and try to play it <laughs> yeah. to a favorable one. Like if you if if he sees that the Knicks are in the sixth seed somehow or they end up flying up to the fifth when Kyrie Irving comes back, I don't put it past them to drop a couple games here and there just to make sure that they're they're in that four spot or they're in that three that spot instead be, of right. Like that <laughs> would be very Nick Nurse. <laughs> yeah. Just going outside the box and kind of messing with the matchups. I mean, even Indiana, I think, is a favorable matchup for Toronto. Like, they've only played the Pacers once this season, I believe. And it was that recent game um, on the Monday where they lost in overtime. But that's without Siakam, Gasol, or Powell. And I think the Raptors really would probably like that matchup. One fully healthy, one you can put Gasol on Sabonis and then have some more um, some more options against Brogdon and Oladipo, like in OG Ananobi, Powell, Lowry, Van Vliet. Like, I think the Raptors feel pretty good about that matchup, and that's kind of um, out of the other teams at their level. I think that would be the team that they would want to play. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of mess <laughs> with the matchup like that. So we're going to move on here and talk about the Raptors three point shooting, which has dipped recently. We know that they had that ridiculously hot start shooting over like 40% from three hitting basically every shot. It felt like, but since December, they're 23rd in the league in three point shooting. I think it's somewhere in the low thirties. And in a recent game against the Miami heat, (laughs) they basically shot 0% from three point line. (laughs) 14.3% not being able to beat the zone, which they probably should have won by 80 points that game. They just couldn't hit a three. So when I was looking through the numbers, I kind of realized that the timing of which the Raptors three-point dip happens coincides with the loss of Matt Thomas due (laughs) to injury. And we know how big of a shooter Matt Thomas is. We know how good of a shooter he is. When Matt Thomas comes back, does he automatically deserve a role in the team, like a bigger role from what he was playing before? I think he was only getting 11 or 12 minutes a night. After seeing these shooting struggles, does he get a does he get a bigger role? What do you think? Uh, it's hard to say. Like if they still have Powell out, it, it appears like Powell's probably the first guy back out of that whole group of um of injured guys besides Thomas, like just out of Powell, Siakam, and Gasol, it looks like Powell will be the first one back. But even with Siakam out, like OGN and Obi's playing a lot of the four right now. And um, and they're kind of sliding him a position up, sliding Patrick McCaw to the three. So I think there does leave um, some room for Matt Thomas. And we've seen so many different players have to step in. O'Shea Brissett getting a kind of a chance. Um, Malcolm Miller a couple weeks back. And then... Even Stanley Johnson played last night against Brooklyn. So, like, there is opportunity 
for these wing guys to come in even once Powell comes back. So I definitely could see him carving out a role at least as like an eighth, ninth man type um, and just being relied on for the shooting because usually he's kind of a matchup guy. And like if you can find a place for him on defense where he's not getting exploited, then he's useful. And I think he could be pretty valuable to them because obviously Lowry and Van Vliet um, have generally been pretty efficient shooting the ball well like near 40 percent or above from three but then they just don't have a lot of other shooters and OG Ananobi has been kind of slumping lately um Hollis Jefferson is basically a non-shooter McCaw has been shooting well lately but generally isn't um isn't considered much of a threat like he doesn't um he doesn't draw much defense like they're not guarding him they're not closing out really hard on him or anything so if you get a guy like Matt Thomas just to space the floor, even if he's not taking a ton of shots, I think it would help them. So to answer the question in a really roundabout way, yeah, I do think um, there is room for Thomas in the rotation and he should play like a little more when he comes back. Yeah, and I, I think he'll be very useful in the games like the game against Miami where they just could not hit a three and they couldn't really do anything. Then by the end of the fourth quarter, guys like Van Fleet and Lowry were hesitant with their shot, who are usually mm-hmm. pretty pretty trigger-happy guys. And, you know, having a guy out there like Matt Thomas who can kind of – it's weird to say calm, thing, calm things down with, like, a, a wide-open three-point shot, but for someone who can just bang a three and for the guys to just see the ball go in the net, uh, it, you know, hopefully doesn't change them all that much in terms of them – getting less trigger happy and, and not shooting the ball as much as, you know, if they just see the ball go in, it's a bit, the confidence just goes right through the roof and, you know, making that game a, a, a five point game instead of an eight point game or a, a seven point yeah. game instead of a 10 point game is, is really big. And if, you know, they can't play the zone when there's one guy who's hitting a, who's hitting threes and they have to look at other guys like Lowry and Fred Van Fleet or OG who have been known to kind of shoot the ball really well this season. So I, I I'm with you. I think he does kind of, it's weird because he hasn't been playing, but he's kind of earned a spot on the team and and a spot in the rotation just because of how, just because of the struggles that they've had without him, even though he's very much a role of a role player kind of thing. Yeah. And I mean, I don't want to say like they're shooting badly because he's not there because yeah, um, that's, yeah, correlation that's doesn't equal causation, but like he is, he was in a small role, but he would just, I think he would help. And, um, and sometimes you just need to keep throwing different guys out there and trying different combinations. And Nurse loves doing that, uh, especially when you're just slumping. And like you said, it was a huge problem in that even the good shooters were hesitating. And we saw it in the first half against Brooklyn again. Um, Brooklyn playing the 2-3 zone and Lowry and Van Vliet just hesitating, not really taking their shot um, or pump faking and then ending up with a worse shot later. So... Yeah, and then in the second half, it was the total opposite with them firing away. So Thomas is good in that he knows his role. He's confident in his shot, and he's just going to take those. And if he gets even a little bit of space, he's firing away. And against zone defenses, you find that a lot. So he's definitely the type of guy who could help in those situations. And so d- despite the Raptors struggling on offense, they we've said this 100 times this podcast, they're still a really good team. <laughs> what's been keeping them afloat has been their defense which has been outstanding like i mentioned at the top of the show they are second in the nba in defensive rating 
as for basketball reference, they've held teams to under the league average, which is 110 points per game in their last five games and 10 of their last 15, which is a very good number. So even with these offensive struggles, which haven't really been that much of an offensive struggle, do you feel that they can still be in contention with their elite defense if their struggles continue? Uh, I do because, like, like, are you surprised with um, with how like it's kind of played out? Like, I'm personally like I, this is kind of what I expected from them. Um, like, maybe maybe it's a little it's exceeded expectations considering the injuries, but I kind of expected them to be middle of the pack on offense and then near the top on defense and maybe second in defensive rating is a little better than um than I could reasonably expect but like I thought they would be right there and they just have everyone on the roster pretty much is a good defender or at worst like an okay defender like not gonna get exposed on possession after possession so it just it just works for them and I think the defense can kind of keep them in games and when they're fully healthy like I think the offense has, like, maybe not, like, in the playoffs, I think it will struggle more because they don't really have that wing guy isolation creator who, obviously, that they had last year. But they have, like, they have multiple creators in Lowry, Van Vliet, Siakam, and even Gasol just as a passer. And I think having that wide array of options and not just um, not just a couple of guys, which is basically the opposite. Like when they've been hurt, they've only had a couple of guys. And when they're fully healthy, they do have a few options so that if one guy doesn't have it, they can go to other things. And they have the high post stuff with Gasol. They have the pick and roll with Lowry. So I think um, that is enough to kind of get them at least in contention or like we said, like second best in the East, which is pretty good for this team. And I think exceeds exceeds expectations. I don't... I don't totally disagree because I think that, you know, the defense is such a big part. And if you can if you can shut down a team for a five, six minute stretch, you're you're gonna do things right and you have a really good chance of winning the game, especially if it's in a, a fourth quarter scenario or late third quarter kind of thing. But what you do need to do when you do have those minutes of of shutting teams down is you need to score the ball and the struggles there, I think if they continue will be obvious. Obviously, this is not going out on any limb here. It's not going to be good to to see those go to waste, right? The four or five minute stretches, and maybe they only score six points in that, where where it's a six zero run rather than a a twelve zero run or a fifteen zero run or whatever it might be to either pull away or or get back and and catch up in a game where they're down. I think when Siakam, Gasol, and Powell get back, and and even Matt Thomas, we talked about him, when they all get back and everyone's back to full strength, like. I do think the offense is going to get better. That's, once again, not going out on a limb. This is the most lukewarm take that you can have. But I think the the, the, the contention part, if they, if they stay in the middle of the pack, is going to be much more difficult. And we hear a lot of the national media, like ESPN's, talking about how disappointing Philadelphia has been. They don't have as good as a defense, obviously, but their offense has been really, really bad. You kind of look at the same scenario in in Toronto where sometimes they don't have... I mean, it's not the same offensive struggles that Philadelphia has in terms of Philadelphia, just they have nobody who can shoot on their team. 
Whereas the Raptors are just kind of, they sometimes get stagnant and you see Fred Van Fleet dribble around for 20 seconds on the shot clock and then tries to find an open guy and then shit goes, yeah. shit hits the fan and it's, <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's just a bad scenario. And sometimes that happens more often than we would like to see. And obviously I think, I think Gasol is a, a really, really, really key contributor yeah. to the team. So as long as he's healthy, I think that changes things up. And he he's not obviously as important as Pascal Siakam, but him, Lowry, and and Siakam are definitely up there in terms of the importance and having those guys on the floor is really important. I just don't know, like, how good does the offense need to be when all those guys are back to, like, I don't want to say put them over the edge because I don't know if there is an edge that the Raptors can get to to be put over. But, like, how how good can the offense get and how good does it have to be for them to really be taken serious? Like they are taken seriously, but more seriously as a maybe finals contender kind of thing. Yeah. I get what you mean. Like it's, yeah, it's kind of what we talked about in that, like, like what it depends on what your goal or what your expectations for the team are. Right. And, um, and if you want to beat Milwaukee, I think like you have to be basically at the level of like a top 10 offense. And, I think they could get there. Like they're 14th in offensive rating right now, um, so points per 100 possessions. And like this is with all those injuries we talked about. I think Gasol is kind of like you said. I think he's almost not more important than Siakam, but in a different way, um, just as important, just because of how the ball moves and his on-off numbers have been incredible this year. Because the ball just moves differently when he. Excuse me. <coughs> the ball just moves differently when he's in the game and, and he's just so crucial um, for that in that sense. And I think when, if their offense is just at a top 10 level, like being top 10 in both of them, which they were to start the season in both sides of the ball, I think that is enough. And, and like I said, I mean, they do have enough, um, enough kind of, options on their team they just don't have like one elite option and I guess that's what you would hope Pascal morphs into yeah I agree so lastly before we move on to our predictions do you think that the Raptors are going to be able to keep their defensive dominance up as like maybe not this maybe not second best in the NBA because that's very tough to do but you know maybe top five yeah I I would expect them to like fall to around um around fifth or so and I think that's already like pretty much as good as you can expect for them um but like who knows I mean the Bulls are fifth right now and that's not like a super like that's not a great defensive team or anything like that's not a team full of great defenders um so I mean they I think they have potential to stay as high as second but yeah somewhere around that top five range and that's um and that's almost reasonable for the Raptors if they, uh, especially if they have everyone healthy soon. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree. So now we're gonna move on to our predictions, but we'll be back in just a second. So here we are, as we do every week. We make predictions on the games coming up in this next week, and we kind of see how the Raptors are gonna fare. But since it is the start of a new year obviously january 5th we're recording this but also a new decade we have a couple bold predictions for not just the year but also the decade and i like 
I don't know how bold this is. So, Lior, I'm gonna you're gonna have to kind of let me know on this one. But I think by the end of 2020, the Raptors are going to have traded Kyle Lowry from the team. Um, I, I'd say that's kind of bold after the extension and how well he's playing. I'd say that's pretty bold. Okay. All right. So I'm off to a good start. I don't, I don't, I'm not saying I want this to happen. I'm just saying that I think it can. I'm just saying that I think it can. Yes. And then for the decade, before the decade ends, I think the Raptors, (laughs) well, yeah, that's obvious. It's not bold at all. Are you kidding me? I think the Raptors are going to have a, they're going to reunite with DeMar DeRozan. I think he's going to somehow end end up back on the Toronto Raptors. Are we talking like a Paul Pierce one day contract kind of thing or like a real contract? Like a, a, a real contract actually playing playing for the Toronto Raptors. Interesting. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, I mean, like you can't rule it out. It's obviously bold, but, uh, (laughs) but yeah, like I'm sure I, it's, it's hard to say because like, Obviously, he had hard feelings there and, like, for a good reason. Um, but I know he loves the city. We all know them. And um, and I'm sure they would be, like, happy to have him as kind of like a end-of-career thing, but not as, like, a key player for their, like, championship aspirations, yeah. I don't think. Um, I, like, do you yeah. think if they if, if he was, like, willing to take a, a like, decent hometown discount, they would actually kind of go after him in free agency. I, I'm not saying necessarily this mm-hmm. this off season, but um, like, I just can't see it. Honestly, okay. he's just like, yeah, just the way like his playing style. He's not a bad player, obviously, but his playing style just doesn't suit him to be a role player. Maybe as like a sixth man type. I don't know how happy he'd be about that. Yeah. Um, this this is probably. Like his next free agency is probably his last chance at a big contract. So yeah, I don't know. I'd expect him to take like what he can get. He has such a weird market though. Like we always, the people have always been throwing around trades the last couple months with him, um, especially when the Spurs started slow. And it's like it's weird because what team wants Demar Derozan that is like other than like I can't see a contender trading for him right just because you kind of need to build like your whole offense that way. But also like, is a bad team going to use that much money on him? And like, how far is your ceiling? But it's, it's an interesting thought, like thought experiment. Once again, not sure I exactly want it to happen. I think it'd (laughs) be cool to see, but I, that's, that is the prediction that I have. Um, So coming up in games this week, they, before our next podcast, which will be next weekend, they really only have two games, which is the Portland Trailblazers on Tuesday and then the Charlotte Hornets on Wednesday. They're in Charlotte. They're at home when they face the Blazers. I think they go 2-0. and What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. 2-0. That's a weird, that's a weird schedule now. Like it is. Back-to-back and then three Nothing. days off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, which one are you most excited for? I I probably know the answer, uh, but Portland or Charlotte? Uh, let's go Charlotte, because Portland, like, 
like Portland's probably better, but I don't even know if Portland's better the way they've been playing. Like, like we just kind of always get the same thing with Portland. And, um, I like that's kind of, I thought the obvious answer, but like Charlotte's kind of been weird and interesting. Like they've won a couple random games and they're only two games out of eighth in the East, even though they were expected to win like, like probably less than 20 games. I don't know what their over under was, but like losing Kemba and being this terrible team, but Devontae Graham's kind of, um, been really good and i guess like the raptors hornets games are always weird they had the jeremy lamb game winner last year so <laughs> let's go with charlotte why not yeah How about you? i'll i'll like i'll go i'll stick with charlotte as well only because their defense is so bad that the raptors yeah. could go off for if they if they actually are hitting shots they could go off for like 150 140 in that game and i think that'll be That'll yeah. be awesome to watch if they can do that without guess, Siakam, Gasol, yeah. and stuff. I guess Portland's defense is pretty bad too, but like, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. they I do like the guard matchup. Like the Raptors never really had this double like small guard combination. Like it was always Lowry and DeRozan starting as long as they were healthy, and now like Van Vliet and Lowry is a nice matchup for um for Lillard and McCollum. But besides that, like Portland, yeah, they're just kind of, they've got this weird situation. And they're also in the playoff picture now because the West just has seven good teams and then that's it. So it will be, it will be a weird week with uh, these two random games. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm going out on a limb here and saying this is not the best week for Toronto Raptors basketball. This is yeah, not gonna yeah. be the prettiest games, but not gonna be the yeah. prettiest. But I, I would expect to, you know. Yeah, I and you know what? I'm sure they'll come away with that. They'll be on a nice three-game win streak before San Antonio comes to town, and Demar Derozan comes back, unless he's traded by then. Who yeah. knows? Who knows? Future Toronto Raptor. Yeah, future Demar- Toronto Raptor coming, uh, coming back. Um, all right, Lear, that'll be it for this episode. Um, thank you for coming on once again. Very, uh, very nice talking to you about the Raptors. All right. Thanks again for having me. Of course. And don't forget to rate and review us. Subscribe wherever you guys listen to your podcast, wherever you're listening to this. Subscribe, rate, review, share with your friends. Go on raptorsrapture.com. You can see stories from me, from Lior, from all of our amazing writers. Follow us on Twitter, Raptors Rapture. Simple as that. You can find Lior on Twitter where his at is. At Lior Kozai. It's L-I-O-R-K-O-Z-A-I. Z because we're Canadian. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Awesome. And you can follow me at H underscore surplus. I've said it enough times. You don't need to hear it again. Thank you guys so much for listening. Lior, as always, thank you for coming on. And go Raptors. <laughs>